shit today. What up, what up, man? We feeling good and we feeling groovy. This is something about podcasts. I'm your host, Kyle, aka K Blaze. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Terrific2. And I'm with my homie, my brother, my co-host, Golden, aka F R H. Where can they find you, bro? They can find me at FRH412 or maybe FRH Golden by the time we release this. And uh, they can find us at About Podcast. Ow. All right. So how you feeling, bro? I'm feeling pretty good, man. Like, uh, as we're recording this, this is our newest, uh, this is our first podcast coming in New Year. So, you know, I'm just in the process of really doing a deep cleaning and organizing of my house, which is a struggle and a half. But it's a lot of clothes that I... That I've had a lot of 3X t-shirts that I never had no business wearing that is getting tossed. And, you know, it's kind of refreshing to uh, make some more space. That's your New Year's resolution, bro, to keep your house clean? Uh, I mean, it's one thing to keep it clean. It's a, it's, it's a different, it's, a, it's an even bigger difference when you just like creating more space, man. You know, like, and, and, have, and making sure that there's no wasted space in the crib and everything's where it's supposed to be. It's more so than that, than the actual cleanliness. You know what I mean? But I don't really believe in resolutions and shit. But, you know, I, I do happen to do stuff around this time of year sometimes. Coincidence. There are a ton of people who do believe in resolutions, though, man. I went to the gym on Saturday. I couldn't even find a damn parking spot, bro. Terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. It was the worst, man. I ended up driving back, uh, like, all the way back to my neighborhood and just jogging. Uh, by the time February 7th comes around, it'll be looking regular as hell. Yeah, man, I'm looking for people to fall off. Yeah, real shit. Yeah, but uh, like usual, that has nothing to do with the podcast that we ever, well, it might. Anyone who's not familiar with what we do has something about podcasts. Goldie, you want to fill them in? This is a podcast about podcasts. So uh, we give you a rundown on what's good, bad, great, whack, and different about these podcasts. And we put our little spin on it because we didn't live a lot of life. So welcome to Something About Podcasts. Yeah, and this week we're um, reviewing a podcast called Hidden Brain. I'm Shankar Vitantham, and this is where you will find the new Hidden Brain podcast in September. But since you're here already, let me give you a little sneak peek. We're going to talk about human behavior in lots of different ways on this podcast. We're going to have stories, conversations, and we're also going to play lots of games. I'm all in. And we're going to use them to show the connection between the science of human behavior and the world of artists. One. Comedians. Two. Even magicians. Three. Queen Queen of of hearts. What? Are you kidding me? Human behavior is all about patterns. Some are obvious, many are hidden. Understanding those patterns reveals all kinds of interesting things. I've been raised to never allow the man to sit with his back to the door because I was taught that if anything unforeseen were to happen, the man should be ready to protect you. I am not the kind of guy who would actually be able to save you, Michelle. 
that is very, very unlikely. So in this and we'll share advice that you can use in the office, on a date, and around the family dinner table. So if you want to get someone's attention, whisper into their right ear. Hidden Brain, a conversation about life's unseen patterns. Discover what's inside your hidden brain. So Hidden Brain is a weekly podcast that usually runs between 35 and 50 minutes. The host is Shankar Vedantam. How, how many times you uh, practice that? I mean, it's it's crazy. It's His name is actually pretty phonetic, but he just says this shit so fast. He says it like Shankar Vedantam. And so you can't tell what part of his name is the first name versus the last name. But uh, the first name is Shankar. The last name is Vedantam. And he says Shankar Vedantam. And I, he says it different every po- po- podcast. Like, he says his name. He's not consistent on how he says his name, in my personal opinion. Yeah, because I was like, yeah, you know you're going to say this dude's name, right? He said, I got it, bro. <laughs> yeah, I've been working, man. <laughs> I've been practicing on that shit, man. Yeah, man. So um, what were your first impressions? Well, I started listening to some of the more recent podcasts and the first two podcasts I listened to, which were, would have been the last two you listened to just cause we listened to them on different platforms and differently. Um, were pretty like terrible. Like the first two, I was just, <laughs> I mean, it's not that they were just bad. I, I've heard those, the topics that were brought up on other podcasts by other more qualified people, particularly Malcolm Gladwell. And um, they just did a lot better job at it. So it was kind of like redundant and I just was, it, it was slow. And I was just kind of like punching the air as I was listening to those. So that was my first impression as I was listening to this shit. Um, and as, as things went on, things changed dramatically uh, in my head. Uh, how about you? What was your first impressions? I had no idea what it was going to be about, though. Hidden Brain, I just thought it was going to... I mean, I knew a little bit because I listened to NPR, like the regular radio. So um, I've heard certain excerpts of this before, um, but I just... It's just interesting. I it, And still, like, if I had to surmise what this whole podcast is about, like, it's kind of difficult to to do, actually, because it's not actually always about the brain at all so yeah that's fair um i think my first impressions i I mean i enjoyed it i'm the one who picked it and as you said uh you know i started from the good side of the podcast i guess because um even though the first episode really wasn't as good as the second and third episode i listened to it was still interesting because it was it he was talking about things that i was interested in like um the first episode I listened to was called uh, Hungry Hungry Hippocampus. And that just really had to do with... What our man Bernie yeah. on there. Yeah, Barney Frank. Barney Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a guy on there who sound exactly like Barney Frank. Like, honestly, man, it, the voice is indistinguishable. Yeah, and I was like, I was just like, if y'all don't know who Barney Frank is, he's a, a senator out of Vermont. One of the first, if not the first, openly gay uh, senator uh, to serve. I literally was like, I didn't know this motherfucker was an expert on food and niggas taste buds and shit. Like I was like kind of thrown off, but it's not really Bernie Frank, but I'm sure like that dude has heard 
that like he sounds like Barney a lot. Yeah, man, he's had to. I mean, there's not a lot of ways around it. But that episode dealt with like the psychology behind hunger and eating and food, but it went a little deeper into it. The part that stuck out to me the most was probably whenever he was talking about hot foods and how your brain adapts to it. Uh, He used the example of this Mexican village and how all the adults were eating chili peppers and came to some summation like, uh, obviously, we're not born liking this food. I mean, whenever you eat it, it hurts. It, um, it doesn't really cause you any pleasure to eat. So why, you know, why do you eat it? Ultimately he had decided like, you know, it's not a, it's definitely a nurture thing, not a nature thing because the kids didn't like it. The only reason the pets ate is because, you know, they ended up in the garbage with the other foods. And if the pets wanted to eat any food, then, you know, they just, you know, you just got to eat the peppers too. But, um, what they, concluded was that you know the social pressures of the village um is really what drove the population to eat these chili peppers because all the adults were eating them and whenever the kids started getting older it was kind of like a not a really a rite of passage but just kind of um kind of like a natural certainty that you know they would just eat them too so even if they didn't like them in the beginning over time they ate them so frequently that you know they just kind of adapted to it there was a phrase that came out of that called benign masochism like, I never heard of anything like that before. I mean, I know what benign means. I know what masochism is. But uh, it's basically whenever your mind enjoys something that the body finds dangerous. He had also used roller coasters as an example. You know, just things that scare you, things that make your body feel uncomfortable, but your but your mind gets some type of pleasure out of it. Because your mind knows it's not going to harm you or kill you. Uh, I think that's an important part. That's where the benign part comes in. Because there's certain things that, you actually think might kill you and you don't enjoy that. There's an uncertainty there. I guess with hot peppers, even though like, you know that is unpleasurable, you know that you're gonna survive. I actually was talking to my homie Phil today and he was in some Chinese restaurant or Thai restaurant, something. And they was like, he was like, you know, I guess he orders stuff really hot and they always, every time he orders it hot, they're like, oh, you wanna try the ghost pepper challenge? And like, he's always like, nah, man, I'm cool. But like this last time he's like, I'm gonna try it. And I was on the phone with him. I took a bite of it, you know what I'm saying? And I'm starting to sweat already. I don't know how this is gonna go. And then I talked to him like a couple of days later, which was which was today. And I was like, yo, so how did that challenge go, bro? He's like, man, that shit, that shit was nothing, B. Like, it didn't even burn me on the way out. And I'm like, nigga, that's, <laughs> that shouldn't be the expectation, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want... Something burning me as I'm letting it go. You know what I'm saying? But I guess he has that benign masochism. Not either that or it's that hot, cold empathy gap. You know, while he was doing it, you know what I'm saying? He's probably like, you know, this is a little difficult to get through. But now it's now that it's done, you don't remember how much pain he was in. Well, like in terms of mas- benign masochism, uh, I guess a perfect example for me is that I've gone skydiving before. So I guess that's a perfect example of benign masochism, even though in actuality, like it could kill you. But um, I jumped out of plane. Uh, me and my homies did it a couple years ago. We actually thought my one homie was about to go to jail. And so like, or prison, I should say. And so like, he was like, man, well, let's do some motherfucking memorable shit. You know what I mean? Together. So we all... Um, signed up for it and we uh did like the tandem jumps because obviously they don't let you go alone your first time but um that was a cool experience like 
it's not something that I necessarily want to do again. Like the replay play value um, wasn't high for me, but like to me, it's like doper than a roller coaster. I know how you feel about roller coasters. Yeah, nah, man, I, I love roller coasters. Um, even whenever I was a kid, I mean, that was just like the only thing I would do at the amusement parks. I wasn't really interested in any other rides. I just stand in line for all the roller coasters. I used to go to uh, Kennywood in Pittsburgh with um, my mom's friend and her husband. Her husband was blind, so he used to get the a little pass where he could go straight to the front of the line so he didn't have to wait in line. So we used to just ride roller coasters all day. But uh, the only thing is now, man, I can't even do that, man. Um, it's not even like a fear thing because, you know, I still would get, you know, I still like the the adrenaline of it. But um, back like, I want to say like five or six years ago, I, I had. Um, oh, Vitilago. Whoa, bro. Nah, son. Uh, benign, <laughs> benign positional vertigo. Oh, vertigo, not, not Vitilago. Oh, Vitilago's the shit that uh, Michael Jackson the skin, had. The skin thing, yeah. <laughs> I was uh, close. Nah. <laughs> you were not, sir. Um, but yeah, nah, man. I got I had vertigo, and ever since then, man, if I if I spin around the circles or if I do anything like if I get on a roller coaster or do anything with like that kind of centripetal force, I mean, it just it just it just makes me sick. It's a nice word. How do you develop vertigo? Like, is it from too many hits? You were a running back in, in high school, bro. I have, I have no idea. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I I I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if I got some inner ear thing or something now, but uh, I'm not even like willing to, to chance it. Yeah, because you might just have vertigo for like a long ass time. There's probably a, I guarantee there's a name of a ride called Vertigo. Like it I would, be, man. I would bet like a thousand dollars on it. During this episode, the um, hungry, hungry hippocampus episode, he was telling the story about this couple who owned a dog, and the dog had this weird fetish i think you would call it but i mean just like this weird trait where he would just eat other dogs poop appetite <laughs> yikes that's a, man just an appetite for feces like that just uh, yeah. just sounds so Ooh, the word feces is so nasty bro <laughs> that's one of the most nastiest words bro um, but yeah, so there's, so this couple has this dog that's eating other dogs feces and they go to the vet and they're like, Hey, is there anything that we can do to get our dog to stop eating dog poop? And the vet suggested to them, you know, put some red peppers on it or, you know, some hot chili peppers on it, then let him eat the poop. And that should deter him because he's not going to like the taste of the, you know, the hot peppers. So the next time they go to the dog park, they put this like this hot pepper on it, like crushed red pepper or something. They're they're seasoning and sauteing this poop for the dog to eat. And the dog goes over and eats the poop and continues to eat the poop. And, <laughs> and what they concluded is that, you know, the dog liked the taste of poop more than it disliked the, the taste of the peppers, which brought it to the main point, which was, you know, people will put up with pain in order to do something that they really like. What's something that you're willing to put up with? That you really like, and it has like a lot of bullshit on it. So I think the f the first thing that can't that comes to mind is like hot food. But hot food, I don't know, man. Like most hot food isn't like super hot to me because uh, Amanda she doesn't eat hot food at all. She doesn't eat anything that you know even smells hot or if it looks hot. Because I mean, she has a she must have a more sensitive palate to hot food than I am. I, I don't know. She must have like some sensitivity to like capsaicin or something because cap what capsaicin is the um I think it's like the 
chemical or whatever that's in chili peppers. They actually put it in um, pepper spray. Oh, yeah. new word, new word alert. alert. I never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's not. But it's not like a word I can use. It's like literally a thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's good to know, man. When it, so if it ever yeah. gets brought up again, you know. But pretty much there's a lot of things that she'll eat that she finds really hot that I, I that doesn't even register for me. You know, I made um, buffalo chicken dip for New Year's. And she's like, she's like, oh my goodness, did you put like chili powder in this? I'm like, yeah, I put a little bit in, you know, I put a little bit of crushed red pepper. But for me, after I make it, I'm still putting like hot sauce on it because it's not hot enough for me. But for her, like she's like sweating and, you know, drinking eggnog and stuff. I'm just like, hey, man, I mean, I, it just doesn't, doesn't register for me. Yeah. Well, like the example that they use with the weird appetite that the dog has, that's even, that's different than benign masochism. Yeah, yeah. That's and that's like, why, that's why I said I don't think it actually applies. Yeah, because this is like something that you've developed an appetite for that uh, even when they try to put some bullshit on there to deter you for, uh, like, it's still not going to stop you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I don't know, man. I I can't really think of anything off the top of my head because, I mean, most most things that, I mean, and you would know. I mean, you would know if there was something that you did that you shouldn't be doing that, you know, caused you some some sort of, you know, pain or harm or anything. And to be honest, man, there's, there's not really a whole lot. I mean, it's it's hard to define anything that you do as weird unless somebody else tells you it's weird. You know what I'm saying? So I definitely don't think I do anything that would rise to an appetite for feces. I even hate to say that shit because that shit just sounds disgusting. But, um... I don't. I can't really think anything, and, and and all the examples that I can think of will really just bring this shit in a really dark place, and I really don't want to go down those routes. So I don't know. Like outside of addiction and rapey shit, like you know what I'm saying, like <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> nah, man. You know what, man? Maybe I wonder if uh, exercise would count as something like that. You know, like like intense lifting or something like that. Because I mean, there are people who like push themselves to their limits, you know, we're knowing, knowing yeah. that they don't have to, you know, much brighter example. Yes. I mean, cause there's, there's some people who just like do it to a place where it's not even healthy for themselves. Like certain people, certain people be running hella marathons all the time and shit like that. And it's just like, yo, why, why are you doing this? Other people like just get carried away with weightlifting. And that, that's almost like a combination between the two. Like, between benign masochism and whatever this phenomenon is. But yeah, I feel like that's a good example. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, another thing that popped up, uh, they, they talked about food a lot in this episode, which, you know, isn't a surprise considering it's called a hungry, hungry hippocampus. And it has to do with, you know, why you're hungry or, you know, just the um, psychology behind hunger. But one thing that stuck out was like ordering food at a restaurant and I never thought about it this way because there's certain restaurants that I go to that I specifically like because they have a certain dish. And whenever I go there, I generally order the same thing. And I'll, there's restaurants I'll go to and I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to try something new. Then I get the same thing. you know. <laughs> and they said uh, that's basically like anticipation versus new experiences. Right. So anti- if you keep getting the same thing, you're able to anticipate it because you had it before versus creating new memories because you can't 
or new experiences because you can't anticipate something that you haven't really had, I guess. I guess you can anticipate the mystery of it, but unless you actually taste it, you can't anticipate it correctly, I guess. Unless unless it's hyped up, and then maybe you can have some anticipation. That's to a degree, right? Because you look at the Popeye's chicken sandwich, right? Every you're like You can anticipate that, but you don't actually know what it tastes like. If you taste it, and then you want to go back to Popeye's the next time to get another one, it's a different sort of anticipation, you know? Yeah, because it's really like anticipation of a new experience. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, like when when things are hyped up. Yeah, I still haven't had the Popeyes chicken sandwich, by the way. But um, <laughs> no, I actually went there with uh, my coworker, and uh, you know we didn't have to fight anyone. No one got shot or stabbed or anything. But um, it was solid. If you solid. like Popeyes chicken, you'll like it. I mean, it's it's basically uh, you know Popeyes boneless Popeyes chicken breast on a on a bun with a pickle on it. Hey, one of the things I meant to bring up before is like when we were talking about benign masochism, uh-huh. I, I guess there's a concept that is, I guess, it, that takes this whole thing on another level is when they say like, you know, you never feel more alive than when you're close to death. Yeah. I've been recently reading this book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I just finished it. Or I got probably a little bit left. Man, did you read I'm, it or I'm did li- you listen to it, man? Because that's like a pet peeve. I listened to it. Bro, don't say you read no damn book if you listen to it, man. Because <laughs> I was just about to say I got a few pages left, but I don't know how many pages. It's like I got like 30 minutes left, 20 minutes yeah, left. Man, that's, that's, that's like me you know telling you, man, yeah, I just read this podcast. We're about to review it. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, man, you listen to that shit, dog. <laughs> and man, it just it, it just feels weird saying I just listened to this book, man. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm cutting myself short. Like, you know what I mean? I'm selling myself short. Nah, man. L- listening <laughs> to a book and reading a book, man, it activates different sections of your mind, man. It's not the same thing. It's not the oh, same. Oh, okay. Thing. Now you the now you the fucking specialist on hidden brain. Bro, hidden brain, man. Look up the episode, read it, bro. It t- <laughs> read the podcast. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like I've been listening to that book. And um, it talks about how you need to learn to give less fucks in general, but like elevate certain things you want to give a fuck about. And one of the key things that help you do that is like when you start thinking about death and like what's more important in your life. And I mean, essentially, my version of it is like do things that make you sacrifice things that might make you happy in order to do things that might make you proud. Um, and I don't know, that whole thing is like, when it, when they, when it mentions thinking about death and coming close to like, this dude talked about overlooking the cliff and all this kind of shit. Some dude thought he was going to jump, but whatever. But like that whole shit just reminded me of that when it was talking about like bringing yourself to the edge by eating a hot pepper (laughs) or, or roller coasters or haunted houses, like all that kind of stuff. It's like, I think. The reason behind, I think it makes us feel a lot. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been like one of those death-defying dudes. Like, I liked roller coasters, but I knew I was pretty secure in that joint. You know, I mean, I I, I don't know. I just, that that's never, that's never appealed to me. I guess I feel alive enough without, you know, having to almost crash my car and, you know, get that feeling like, oh my God, I almost died, you know. And, Hold on the other, and on the anticipation versus new experience, like, one of the things I wonder is, is there a connection? I want to do a, like, so they talked about how some people value anticipation, some people value new experiences, right? And I wonder if there's a connection between people who have those eating habits and desires in other aspects of life. So maybe like if you're a 
new experience kind of person, you might be less likely to settle down in a relationship opposed to an anticipation where, you know, you found something good and you just want to anticipate coming back to that person. I wonder if those are connected. I wonder if you can look at somebody and how they eat and see how faithful they might be to you in a relationship. And if that's the case, I'd be fucked up. It'd be, it would bring a whole different level of like posturing you're on a date. Like, oh, I'm a foodie. Like, bitch, you a cheater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you, I mean, you on a date, man. So, I mean, I, you know, odds are, man, you guys aren't, uh, I mean, she, she's not, I mean, she's probably single anyway, right? But just because you're single doesn't mean, that doesn't speak to your desires. You know what I'm saying? Like, but if she'd be like, I come to this restaurant all the time. Like, I always get this joint. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, you're a settler. You like to settle down. Or be like, yo, I've never been here before. Let's let's do this. You over here, like, you trying to taste the rainbow. I mean, you, you, you know I mean, mean? You're, the, you're the single dude in this podcast, man. I mean, I'm guessing you've gone on quite a few dates. I mean, have you, I mean. you go to different restaurants every time, go to the same restaurant, just kind of mix it up. What do you get? There's too many different. See, when I put myself in that perspective, and maybe why that may be why, why they, this analogy may not work. I use other factors other than food, like to determine uh, where I go. Like I'm thinking about like drinks. I'm thinking proximity to the crib. I'm thinking about <laughs> cost. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm thinking about the women involved. Like what kind of flavor I think she might have. What's her level of sophistication and, and uh, expectation. I'm really trying to gauge what I think she would like because you know the woman never can make the decision. 80% of the time, the woman's not going to make the decision. Unless y'all like some... There's one girl that I used to kick it with, but like we we never really had nothing popping, even though I think there's a chance we probably could. She used to always like have food recommendations and stuff. I think she was also bisexual, so maybe that means like she really uh, was was into the anticipation game oh no the new experience game <laughs> you ever considered just like sliding a crossword puzzle across the table and then you know asking for you know what's like you know five down and seeing if she can get it whoa what's five down i don't know if i get it crossword what's five down no I mean, okay okay down? five down doesn't actually represent anything specific it's like a crossword puzzle oh. you know you got one across Two down, three. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm just saying, man. Just you know, just just challenge her a little bit, bro. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! I was actually watching. Hey, yo, I haven't looked in the crossword puzzle in so long. Yeah, I don't even remember how those menus are set up. Like how, like, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm over here trying to like <laughs> picture like the fucking menu. I'm like, yo, okay, across, but they do have numbers. But, like, how do you know which one is five down? Like, don't you just normally just cross them out? And, like, I'm confused. Yo. Wait, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you confusing it with a word search? Maybe. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yes. Yes. A word search is the shit that you put the, uh, you put the fucking, what's my calls through? You put, you put the, uh, the line the, through the, the, line yeah, through the, the word. Yeah. Word. Man. I never knew. I thought that was a crossword puzzle. No, no crossword puzzle is <laughs> is what's in the newspaper, man. Oh, that's sexy, bro. Right. I might do that joint. I might just keep a a, a a crossword puzzle on me, nigga. That's what you here for, bro. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, yo, you had me really kind of turned around when I was. I was like, wait, what are you? What are you talking about? How do you know it's five down? <laughs> 
I am not a Tinder person, but uh, anymore. But if I was like an online dating joint, that's a great fucking icebreaker. What's five down? Yeah, but like, but like, hey, what's a five letter word for impatient? Uh, you know. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and then my dumb ass would say something slit like, I just want to see how long it would take for you to go down. <laughs> <laughs> something stupid. And it would be like, boom. Oh, man. Yeah. But, so it, womp, womp. Yeah, we're, 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 complete, we're completely off the rails now, man. <laughs> Hold up. Mm-hmm. What would be your last meal? Would it be? See, I feel like everybody's last meal is anticipation versus new experiences. Nobody would want to try some new shit for their last meal. Of course meal. not, man. Think. That shit dumb. I mean, can you imagine being like, you know what, man? I always get the petite fillet, but this time I'm going to try their their tomahawk. And then you're like, man, this is all fat and gristle in a big ass bone. And then you just end up dying after that. Yeah, but you like, want to yo, this shit is trash. Right, last thing you want to do, I mean, you're going to die with enough regrets, right? <laughs> <laughs> not not create another regret to die with, man. Like, hey, like how bad is that? It's like, you know what, man, um, I've had a couple of regrets in life. There's people I wasn't able to say sorry to and make amends. But, you know, I really regret ordering uh, the pastrami sandwich instead of getting, the, <laughs> instead of getting that Philly cheesesteak they always do, you know? Be like, be like, yo, that nigga Biggie used to always talk about escargot. And I just wanted to try that shit. And this shit is fucking disgusting. It's terrible. My throat is actually enlarging. So before they execute me, I might die as uh, allergic <laughs> So, speaking of dying, they have a, a episode called Ventilator. Uh, I think that's about how people's views on death change. So, the ventilator tells two stories. The first story is kind of a throwaway story about um, this woman who lived in an iron lung, and that was just um, speaking to quality of life. And then the second story, which was the majority of the episode, um, was about this couple named John and Stephanie. Whenever they were younger, Stephanie was a nurse. Uh, John was a football player. And they um, they get married. John's dad has a stroke and they kind of see what his quality of life is like. Stephanie turns to John and was like, you know what? I never want to live like that. You know, so if I ever get into a position where my quality of life declines, I want you to basically pull the plug. So years pass. They have a family. They have uh, three boys. And she realizes there's something wrong with her speech. And she comes to find out that she has ALS. Her physical state starts to deteriorate. You know, whenever she, well, first of all, whenever she gets the diagnosis, you know, she lives her best life. You know, for like the next like year or two, they go to the beach almost every day. You know, they travel. They're doing all the things that her heart could possibly desire to do. And then- As time went on, her physical condition deteriorates and deteriorates a little bit more. You know? I think it's like your nervous system that ALS affects. Yeah. So like it just and it happens so gradually. So then the, at one point you're not able to talk, then you're not able to move, you're not able to breathe. Like it's it's just fucking the worst. I have a I have a uh, a homie of mine whose wife died of ALS, and I know it was a real hard time. Um. So yeah, that's that's definitely trash yo yeah and that's why you know for john you know in his mind he's thinking you know now that my wife condition is deteriorating and she always said that if she ever 
got in this position that she just basically want to be euthanized. He just figured that, you know, at some point that was coming because eventually her speech went, then her motor function started to go. And it was to the point that her children had moved back home to help to pretty much help her around the clock. Like they would have to pick her up and put her on the toilet for her to use the bathroom. She couldn't really eat anymore. They had to uh, feed her through a tooth, through her chest. And like her quality of life was just basically non-existent, but there was an instance where the uh, hospice nurse came in and asked her, like, are you ready to go to hospice or do you want to, you know, just kind of, I guess, keep fighting a good fight. And John just knew that she was going to say that, you know, she just wanted to go to hospice and just, you know, just die, like bow gracefully. And she was like, nah, you know, I want to, I want to live, you know, even though she didn't have this quality of life. So, John was surprised that all of a sudden wanted to live and um, something happened where I think she was like choking on mucus or something and she just couldn't breathe and the nurse didn't know what to do. They had the uh, the ambulance had showed up and the um, emergency um, responders, they didn't know what to do. And so, you know, John, he just jumps on her. He, I think he had the trach or something, but whatever he did, he was he was able to save her for her to continue to live. And after he saved her, he's like, did I just save a life? You know, because like the condition that she's living in is so poor. And the fact that she can't do anything in his perception, her quality of life was so bad that he thought it'd probably be better if, you know, for her, if she was dead instead of living the way she, she was living. But, but the reason why he did that was because when she was a little bit more able-bodied, at a time before she like fucking went in her throat and fucking cleared shit out herself. So he knew she had developed. And I I think it may be part of us who sees who we want to be. And when we see other people going through things and we, at least me, I've seen like people with all kinds of ailments and all that. And I might just say a quick prayer or, or some shit or say, I'm like, yo, I never want that. I never want that to happen to me. But, that whole aspirational aspect of us sometimes conflicts with our evolutionary selves. I feel like I feel like as a being, not not necessarily even just a human being, but like as a creature, I feel like there is the self preservation will to live that's within us. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, the interesting fact there is selfishness, right? Like being selfish in general is already in the eye of the beholder. So there are people who get into these positions and like in a position that Stephanie was in where she, you know, she was, her quality of life was just really poor and, you know, they just want to die. Like that's just, that's, that's what they want to do. But, you know, the people around them are like, you know, that's selfish for you to want to leave us or whatever. And, but at the, at the same time, it's like, but for those people, it's selfish for them to want her to stay in that condition if that's not what she wants. You know what I'm saying? Or some people who are going through that shit feel like they're being selfish by relying on all those people and burdening those people. Exactly. And I feel like a lot of people who deal with depression actually have those feelings to a certain degree um, when they're going through things and they feel like um, they're being selfish. Also, you know, people who are dealing with different health conditions, I know that they've express that you know what i'm saying yeah so i think that's a that's an interesting um part that 
could really be mined a little further. I don't know. It's it's, it's just weird the thing you think about because I always I thought about that too. Like, man, is there anything, any situation where you know I just don't want to like I wouldn't want to continue my life. Like, if I was like eighty years old. And, you know, I couldn't even, you know, go to the bathroom myself and move around. Like, you know, am, am I just like, yo, let me just end it. And it's hard to really to say without being in that situation because, you know, 80 years from now, you may have great grandchildren or something that you want to see grow up. I mean, it may be still milestones or things that you want to that, you know, make life worth living, even if it's not, you know, your physical state. I've been in a have you ever had? Been in a decision maker in a situation like that? Nah, man. Nah, I'm, luckily, I'm not um, that important yet. And then, like, I'm not that important in anyone's life to, you know, be the be the person they call on to either pull the plug or not pull the plug. So I have been that uh, been in that position before, like um, where like my sister was going through uh, some things, and like she had this crazy. Uh, infection and she became septic mm. and when you're septic that means like there's such an infection like when they saw like the level that like her white blood cells were on or all that kind of stuff it can be a situation where your organs can start failing all that kind of stuff and so my sister made me the decision maker like to do whatever in case she was incapacitated um at that time and so and I think for me, like I just tend, I tend to be non-emotional in those kind of scenarios. And um, so, fortunately, I didn't really have to. It didn't get as dire for me to ha- actually have to make that decision. But I, I also have been in situations where, like, my grandma, she had suffered some strokes and some things of that nature. She was in a position where, like, she was actually brain dead. And um, I actually refused to see her in that state because to me, like, you just wanted to remember the state that any human should. You wanted to remember her how she was. I remember, I wanted to remember her how she was, but I also feel like that's the state that nobody should ever be in. And because I don't think there was like a, um, a chain of command, so to speak, within the family to make the decision. I felt like the indecision just kept her in that state for months and months unnecessarily. I feel like that experience and how I felt about it probably is what gave my sister like the confidence in me to kind of have the um, decision making on that aspect. But I know I, I know for a fact I never would want to be in that situation where I'm just fucking I'm able to feel or or I'm able to breathe, but I, I don't have any other kind of like ability to do anything to me that's trash that's to me i'd rather just die like let me go yeah and it's funny because i mean not that it's funny and there's really not a whole lot of humor in this but you know i was having this conversation with amanda and it just it just took the i would say it took an unexpected turn but you know i know amanda well enough that i knew exactly where it was going to go whenever i brought it up so we're married, obviously, you know, so you have to talk about family planning. The goal is to grow old together, right? So you, you want to obviously have the conversation. If, you know, one of us is in this position, you know, what do you want the other person to do? And instead of having a conversation like, you know what, you know, if my quality of life is below this threshold, this is what I want to happen. Instead of going that direction, which would be the logical way this conversation should go, she went, no, you're not going to pull the plug on me so you could just run around with some other bitch while I'm dead and just. 
Yo, that reminded me. What was that last podcast we did when the when the shorty had breast cancer? She was she made her uh, husband promise her that he would um, <laughs> that he wouldn't remarry. Yeah, or he wouldn't remarry until the daughter got older. No, that, no he she was pushing for him to remarry, and then he was the one who didn't want to who didn't want to commit to remarrying. And eventually, like uh, he was like, "All right, well, one, maybe once our our daughter's older and grown." But, no, this um, not because that's how much she loved this nigga. But this one is kind of like the ah. no, nah, Amanda's <laughs> the complete opposite, man. She's like, "No, nah, you're not going about the, you're not going to use my life insurance, pay off the house, and just have some other uh, other woman move in." Even in like cases where like if something untimely happened and she passed, she's like, "Yeah, you better not move on, or I'm gonna." You're like, "You better hope there's no spirit world. I'm gonna come back and haunt you." And I'm just, <laughs> so yeah, I would. My response would be like, "So it'd be a threesome." <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I knew what I. Could conversation was going before it even was brought up but it was uh i mean at least she stayed on brand i guess but i mean more to the point i mean i think the thing that kind of um you know uh just feeds into amanda's hysteria or whatever is that we have a neighbor who um his wife had cancer and she ended up passing away and after she passed away her best friend moved into the house come to find out that the husband and the best friend had a little something going on. And then after the wife died, you know, I guess they really just made it happen or whatever. Is this my man? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, snap. So, he was over there talking about being on dates and shit and getting out there. This nigga been dating while he was married, motherfucker. Yeah, so, <laughs> but here's the thing, man. This is the way I see it. Like, I don't know their relationship. I don't know them well yeah. enough. Like, because, I mean, her, her health was declining and deteriorating for a while. You know, yeah. I don't know if they had some sort of arrangement where they're like, you know what, I want you to be with, you know, such and such, because I know that, you know, our daughter likes her, blah, 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 blah. She's been around. I don't know if any of that took place. So I'm not going to judge. Regardless if that happens or if that conversation happened or not, it's something that happens often. Yeah, but like, yeah, but either I, way, like, I'm not going to judge the man without knowing the stuff. But Amanda, though, yeah. uh, Amanda will judge uh, the hell out of him. And he and she has uh, like, man, she, she's like, she's like, ah, there he goes again. And oh look, her car's in the driveway. Oh, I guess she. I'm like, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? You know. But I mean, that, that happened in the movie Spawn too, right? But he was mad about it, I think. Yeah, whenever he found out that his best friend ended up marrying his wife after after he got, man, what are you talking about Spawn, bro? Man, that, that's how I know we need a break. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, let's take a break here. On the other side of the break, we got um a real good conversation for you guys. All right, all right. We're back from the break, and um, there are two episodes that really stood out to both of us. For me, it was the second and third episode I listened to. For Golden, it was, uh, what, the fourth and fifth, maybe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because he had called me. He's like, man, these first two episodes, man, they're gonna, you're going to have a hard time getting through them. I'm like, bro, those are going to be the last two episodes I have to listen to. And <laughs> But the reason that they were hard for me to get through really was just because these two episodes had stuck out so much to me. All I wanted to do, I just wanted the podcast on just these two episodes, man. I didn't care about anything I listened to after that. Like I had to re-listen to um, some of the other episodes multiple times just to try to remember something to talk about because I didn't care. I didn't care that much, you know, but the two episodes, one was called in the heat of the moment. 
And the other one was called Counting Other People's Blessings. In the heat of the moment, they talked about this thing called the hot, cold empathy gap. So basically, how this hot, cold empathy gap, how this name came about is there was a researcher, I believe, at Carnegie Mellon, who like he used to run up this hill in Pittsburgh. If you know anything about Pittsburgh, it's, it's that the topography in Pittsburgh is insane. Like everything is built on a damn hill. And topography, another good word. And I live on the top of a hill and, and I actually used to run hills every fucking day so I could relate to this shit. Yeah. And basically what the guy realized is whenever he would run up the hill, he, you know, it's just like one of the most grueling things that he could possibly do. And whenever he was done, he's like, man, that wasn't so bad. I could do that again. And then whenever he starts doing it again, it was grueling. He just wants to he just wanted to quit. And he's like, man, there got to be something to this. So he and created this study where he had his coworker put his hand in freezing cold ice and water for as long as he can. He told him to keep it in his keep his arm in there for 30 seconds. But the coworker only could keep it in his arm in there for 10 seconds. But every time the coworker pulled his arm out, he was like, you know what? I don't know why I couldn't keep it in there longer. You know, it wasn't, it's not that big a deal. I'm gonna do it again. And I think with that knowledge, I can keep my arm in there longer. So he put his arm back in and he can only keep it in there for 10 or 15 seconds again. And what he concluded is that there's this hot, cold state. Or I guess, ironically, the hot state is whenever his hand was in the cold water because... <laughs> <laughs> so when you're actually going in the heat of something or going through something in certain situations, all you can feel about is the current sensations. Whatever you're feeling at that particular time is of the utmost importance. And so like, if your hand is in cold water, for example, um, all you feel about is, damn, this shit is cold as shit. My hand is about to freeze off. And also while you're going through it, it feels like it's never going to end. Like it feels just like when you're running up a hill, it feels like you're never, it's going to continue on forever. Um, and then when you pull out or when you get out of that hot um, state, um, not only do, are you not thinking about that anymore, your judgment on that, on um, what you just went through is just even you disregard it even more. Like whatever sensation you were feeling, it's kind of um, not there. Another example they use is kind of sexually, and I, I guess that's a, a better example when it comes to the words. Um, it's less ironic. It's like kind of like in the states of arousal. Yeah, one of the early examples was this girl who had an atypical kind of experience in terms of how she was raised, where they talked about sex freely um, within their um, household. They talked about having protection. She went to this weekly, I think monthly, monthly or weekly conversation with others. About, and they talked about kind of proper ways to protect yourself, STDs, all that kind of stuff. The kind of uh, conversations that were normal in her household that were not normal in many households, those, those conversations that are normally seen as awkward. She described this dude in overalls, like thought was very attractive. He didn't wear drawers. So they built a connection and one thing is leading to the next and like things are getting hot. And she's like, do you have condoms? And he's like, oh, I don't use condoms. Instead of doing everything that she was trained to do for her whole life, she had sex with him, unprotected sex with him. 
and and she she was describing in the moment she was like man it her she just she just wanted to have sex with him that was the, of the utmost importance it just felt like it was right after the the situation happened she she was like yo what the hell was i thinking like i'm not going to that's not something that's going to i'm i'm going to allow to happen again like that's ridiculous i like and sh- and she got i think she may have got tested right after or whatever and and so was concerned and then so she hung out with this dude again told herself she's like i'm not gonna have sex with this dude unprotected and then um, unprotected sex uh with this dude and she finds herself in the same position again and like logically when she's out she's like obviously like that's the last person you want to have sex with someone who says i never use protection because those are people who need to use protection with right and but she was in this hot space and all that shit goes out the window the way they described it, the cold state is logical deliberation versus hot state, which is impulsive. You know, like you said, right in the moment. They even did a survey with a group of men who were, and I don't, I don't want to know how they got them sexually aroused, but they, but they did a survey with this group of men who were aroused, and they asked them questions like, you know, if you were getting, if you were making out with someone with a woman, would you be more inclined to buy her more drinks or slip something in her drink or, you know, not take no for an answer or whatever. And they were answering in these more like rapey terms than, you know, later they had been asked whenever they were not in the state of arousal and they gave like, no, you know what? I would respect her wishes. I would say, you know, this not in the third, but it just kind of speaks to, you know, you're and one thing that they kept on saying is like you're not the same person in these two different states. Like whenever you're you're being impulsive and you're in this hot state where you know the adrenaline is flowing and it seems like it's like fight or flight, you're not the same person because you don't. It's just like I mean, not that this uh, this is a perfect um, comparison, but it's just like whenever they have quarterbacks and they try to change a quarterback's delivery, and then you know it looks great whenever they're thrown against air, but whenever you know, they're about to get sacked. All of a sudden, you know, their mechanics break down. They look exactly the same way they did from before. And Jameis Winston, I was thinking more Tim Tebow, but, uh, <laughs> okay, gotcha. but, but that's, that's basically what it is. And the reason why like this episode really stuck out to me and I'm sure it stuck out to Golden for the same reason is because it's like, you know, that says so much about our culture, specifically American culture, and I mean, maybe even religion, um, just about how we're so quick to judge people when they're in this hot state and we're judging them from a cold state. One of the examples that they had was like- um, Hold on, one, one thing we should ask about the, add about the study is that after you go through the, so normally they say like experience is your best teacher, right? But- through their studies, it's like after you actually go through the hot state, when you're back to the cold state, you have even less of a proper perspective on what was going on in the hot state. That's the crazy part. I think it's just that full confidence of, uh, you know, doing it before. It's like, well, you know, I did it the first time and I was able to do it for this long. So, you know, now that I know, you know, what I did, I can definitely, you know, get away with it this this next time. And they find out. But it should be the opposite because you failed the first time. You should, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I, I don't. I think it's just like a glitch in the human brain, bro. <laughs> like, I really do. We had a passionate conversation about cheating. Um, in a previous podcast, and I feel like a lot of that conversation may have been like, let's see, even outside of the cheating, like 
when you're when you're with someone and you're talking about what you want in a relationship, to me, all that shit goes out the fucking window. I've learned and not the, not these terms, but I've learned to like disregard what people say in terms of what they want because to me, you gotta see what they show in their action. And to me, in romance, like logic goes out the window. So people can say they want a person who does A, B, and C and treats them like this, but there's all kind of subverted desires that they have, and also people never account for how they are when they're in the hot state. Yeah, and I think um, I think that um that phrase actions speak louder than words actually applies here too cuz it's like your actions are really your hot state and your words are your cold state cuz you you know you develop this this line of thinking whenever you're cold when you're in this cold state whenever you're logical opposed to what you actually do is what whenever you're in a hot state even if you think about like abusive relationships you know there, there's always a guy who says yo you know baby i'll never do it again i'll never do it but then whenever you know he gets into this hot state he can't control himself he's not thinking about him saying that he would never do it again he's just going off of of like being in the moment his impulses in society, we kind of see like it's kind of the same thing. We just kind of use that as a platform to to judge people. Like last episode, I mean, I was I was very adamant. Like, bro, I mean, you just you just don't cheat. I mean, like you said that you know you're not. You said that you're going to be faithful to someone to be faithful for them. And I think that the interesting part about that, because whenever me and Golden were talking about this episode, or like kind of what we were going to talk about before, he's like, "Dog, that's the exact same thing I was thinking of." I was like. But the only difference is, like, I've been in those positions before and I didn't cheat. So it's not like it's not possible or something. You know, it's not like some insurmountable feat that you can't over that you can't overcome. And I think, you know, the point that Golden made that I probably agree with is like I'm even more critical of it just because I've lived through it. And I'm just like, yeah, but, you know, it's possible that you can, (laughs) you know, you don't have to stick your dick in this person. You're in a cold state after after being in a hot state. You know what I'm saying? You, that, and that's really the gap in empathy. I, that's that's really where where that as the empathy gap actually comes into play. And so that you you weren't able to empathize um, with others in in that similar position. Yeah, and I mean one um, one another example that they gave was. Um, they were talking about people who were addicted to drugs. And they said, well, if you've never been addicted to something, you can't judge the behavior of someone who is addicted to something. You know, because you could say, like, I'd never steal my mother's TV and sell it for crack. But, I mean, until you're on crack, how do you know? <laughs> you know? Me and Kyle are part of this this Facebook group where we talk about football and sports. And uh, I remember recently, you know, Josh Gordon was suspended for the, you know, how how many ever time? And <laughs> they count anymore. Like this dude is on there, like, oh, what a fucking idiot! Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, bro, like this shit is not. This shit is deeper than like a fucking. He's making yeah. this decision from like this cold ass. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like, saying? oh, if I had million dollars, like, millions of dollars on the line, I wouldn't be smoking marijuana. Like, how do you know you're not addicted to marijuana? Exactly. Or and and like you know, without trying to play like psychologist, but like it's. This dude's on record talking about he's tried every fucking drug under the sun. Like, it's obviously deeper than just, like, an affinity for something. It's actually, like... Um, Some coping mechanism or what's something. What's the word that... Yeah, yeah. And what's the word, word, what's another word for addiction when you're um, dependent? It's like a dependency yeah. on these substances. And so it's like... And, and I think that's the issue where a lot of folks tend to to have within society when we judge people who are struggling with addiction. They're not in their right frame of mind. They're in this, 
euphoric state of mind and they're trying to get back there. So like, I think there was even an example that they used about when they asked people, would you abandon your family in order to do drugs? And everybody's like, absolutely not. But every almost, you know, 80% of people who are addicted to drugs do that, you know, like, and it's, it's like, I don't know. And I, and, and one of the things I don't think, or did, what was the solution of getting out of the, um, to stop the empathy gap? I think it was through practicing. Like, it, they brought up military. Oh, um, yeah, like repetition. Yeah. So, but even then, I don't know how- But even then, you know, you had to completely break the person down and, like, to, like, to relieve them of the habits. Because they, they talked about how extreme- the mil- that military training was in order to, you know, break people's habits. And there's still some people who go through that and they still have certain, certain, certain things that they can't overcome, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, if you have to go through that much of an extreme that you have to be isolated and sleep deprived and basically, you know, tortured and abused in order not to think a certain way in a hot state. I mean, that says a lot about, you know, the way, how strong your mind really is. So, like, with the information we have about the hot, cold empathy gap, like, how do you prepare someone like this young woman to use protection in a sexual situation? Do you just make sure she has condoms on her at all times? Is that the only solution? I think it might be. I don't know. I mean, because, I mean, based on what they said, in order to close that empathy gap through repetition is for her to continue to get in the situation and actually not have unprotected sex. Um. To me, it also, this whole hot, cold thing also talks about, like, this whole mysterious thing of balance in life. Because I feel like, I think I mentioned earlier about, like, doing things that make you proud versus what makes you happy mm-hmm. in the in the situation. Yeah. And I feel like a cold state is kind of like the part of us that we would be proud of. But hot state is what makes you happy. But, like, if you're not happy... Like it can sap your energy in order to do what makes you proud. So I feel like as an individual, there's you, you have to really work at balancing your hot and cold states and closing the empathy gap in order to kind of live a life that, that you, you can be happy with and proud of. This is going to be like a theme from this point going forward, man. But like also when I was listening to it, like the uh, this hot, cold empathy gap, I just I couldn't think of like the racial component or even the class component from it, you know, where people don't say they don't understand why poor people do certain things or why black people do certain things. Remember, we were talking about the bill, the uh, debt collector. And she's like, yeah, why would you go to, you know, a check cashing place? Why not, you know, get a bank account or whatever? And it's like, unless you're in that position, you know, you don't know. You, I mean, you don't know why that person would do that. You can't say that you would never right. do that until you're in that position. Just like, you know, whenever someone robbed a bank because they're, you know, so poor, they got to the point where they didn't think they had any other option. You're like, oh, my goodness, I would never rob a bank. I would just get a job first. You know, and you're like, man, whenever you're that desperate, you can't say what you would do, what you wouldn't do. You know, and I think that this um, empathy gap is like a perfect illustration of what kind of what, what divides people who are different even even further, you know, because they're unable to even not not only empathize, but they're unable to even get into the thinking of why a person would act the way they would act. They never think like just like you were talking about the thing with Josh Gordon, instead of 
saying, oh, man, this guy has a has millions of dollars online. And he can't and he just can't stop smoking. It's like, yeah, but there's probably there's like a whole lot this dude has to go through. man. this dude's getting hit all the time. He's probably in physical pain. He obviously has like some mental issues as well that, you know, he probably needs to see a psychiatrist about instead of like looking at it from that perspective. You can only see it from the perspective that you've been raised in. You know, yeah. So I think that was like that's one thing that really kind of us that really popped in my head whenever I was listening to it. What also makes me think about like the environmental and social conditions that lead to different hot states. Yeah. So like even within something like sales. Yeah. You know, like if if you learned about anything, if you ever been in sales or learned about sales, whether it through be through college or uh, through work, it's like your whole goal is really to get a person into a emotional decision making process, yeah. and that has to do with how they feel socially. You know, like people's value systems that's also created by society, and so even things like consumerism and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it just it, and then it's we all want to live in a society where, you know, we feel that we're judged off our actions, like in terms of being a good person or bad person. But then it comes to a whole nature versus nurture society thing that you're in. Like, so it, it, it just, it really influences everything in our freaking lives, man. Yeah. And, and all the techniques that they have in sales, like the things that they do to motivate you, one of the biggest motivators and probably one of the biggest emotional hot states that you really can go into is like jealousy, right? Because that's where they put these leaderboards up like, oh, this person had the most sales. You know, how many sales do you have so you can compare yourself to them? And that actually goes into the next episode that we listened to, uh, Counting Other People's Blessing. Facts. And they, they talked about this concept called benign envy. Uh, in that episode. Yeah. And that's something I think me and Golden are like really familiar with. Um, I used to tell them that it was competitive jealousy, you know, because there's times where it, it's like productive envy, you know, where someone gets something and you're like, man, you know what? That's going to make me work harder so I can get that as well. Where, you know, other people can look at it and be like, oh man, F that he doesn't deserve it, you know? But um, like, I know with Golden, me and it's, it's crazy because like me and Golden have never had like the same sort of goals in life. You know, we define success very differently. Like the way my life, if, if Golden had ended up in my situation, not ended up in Golden's situation, I think that neither one of us would really define it as successful for what we had our lives planned out as, you know, because, you know, I always plan to have a family, buy a house, you know, and just, I mean, I, I plan to live the life that I'm currently living and Golden had <laughs> planned the opposite. So, <laughs> I was never jealous of what he had because that's not necessarily what I wanted. The fact that he was accomplishing things in his life made me want to also, you know, work to accomplish to get on that same level, even if it wasn't the exact same, the same outcome we were looking for. Facts. And like, I feel like a lot of people, uh, you know, you like may have family members who like go to college, move out. Um, create self-sustaining lifestyle for themselves. I feel like that's something that that's a part of benign envy. Like my sister did it. Like, so I want to do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, man. Basically like role models, you know? Yeah. Like in order for a role model to be effective, you have to want what they have. You, They have to have something that is attractive to you. Cause otherwise, I mean, what role are they setting for you? 
basically positive peer pressure is kind of like what the whole thing uh, speaks to. But there's also a flip side to this, you know, that we often see in society, which is called malicious envy. What was the tall poppy syndrome? <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, the tall poppy syndrome was actually just a, um, it's just a phrase. I don't remember where it originated. The whole phrase is, um, you know, cut down the tallest poppy, you know? So basically everything grows to a certain length, but the ones that are the tallest, you know, everyone wants to cut them down. So cut them down to size. So, you know, they're equal instead of growing to match their height, they want to cut them down. So that's malicious envy. That's whenever you see someone, who has like someone bought a new car or something, you know, and you're jealous of the car, but instead of you trying to do what you have to do to get this new car, you want to see their house burn down. <laughs> you know, you want to see yeah. bad things happen to them. So they're back into the, you know, the same level that you're in. And like the, in the perfect example of that to me is like Twitter. We love to see celebrities fail. We love this. I mean, not we specifically, but we in general, like there, yeah. there's like an entire market for like celebrity fallout, you know, whenever something bad happens to them. And a lot of that has to do with experiencing pleasure from other people's misfortune. Um, there's a phrase, it's called schadenfreude, I guess it's German. And that's exactly what it is. Like that, that stuck out to me. Cause the first time they said, it, I was like, what the hell is schadenfreude, you know? But then like, the more you think about it, that's the driving force between a lot of things in society, like in politics, you know, someone gets a little too high in the polls. So it's like, oh, we got to put out this attack commercial to, um, you know, to bring him down to size to make it that he's not relatable. He's just like, you know, just terrible individual or whatever. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, I think part of that may be evolutionary because I think an evolutionary process, if, um, folks are doing so much better than where you are, then that may mean that you're not going to survive. See, um, I, th- I think the evolutionary part may have more to do with like fairness than that, right? Because I mean, they did the they did the experience with the monkeys or whatever, where they would have a number of monkeys and they would all get the same thing, and then out the blue, they would just start giving another monkey more like more bananas or more treats or whatever. And all the other monkeys would get jealous of this individual. Not, not because, you know, he's getting ahead or whatever, but it's just like, why is he getting more than me? That's not fair. Um, they also did an experiment, like an experiment where um, they cut the salary of two individuals and their work stayed consistent, but then they cut the salary of one individual and kept the other individual's salary the same and it showed a decline in um, work from the person whose salary was cut. So it was like, as long as things are fair, you're more likely to have consistent output opposed to if you think something's not fair. Because if you think someone's getting paid more to do the exact same thing you're doing, I mean, it makes you less productive because you don't understand like what's the, what's the point of producing the same amount of work as someone who's getting paid to do exactly what you're getting paid to do. And I think that um, speaks to another another point in term that that I heard was um, I I I understand the fairness aspect, and I, that's definitely something that like I feel is a desire, particularly within humans, to have. But I also feel like there's a reality within all organisms. That reality is that there's no such thing as fairness. Like in terms of we're 
no matter what kind of animal, humans, whatever, there's always someone who has more and someone who has less. And I feel like from an evolutionary perspective, the ones who do perish, who don't survive, are the ones who have the least. And so I feel like hardwired in our in, in our evolutionary system is uh we always we don't want to be the people who are last for sure. You know what I'm saying? That brings up another thing they they brought up. Um the last place aversion. Last place and, aversion. And I, th- and I think that's that's more or less what you're speaking to. Because, I mean, there's always, fair or not, I mean, there's always a perception of fairness. You know, that's why people, that's why it's so hardwired into people not to share their salaries with other people. Because, I mean, it's in the employee's best interest to share their salary with other employees. That way, you know, I, I think you would find that there would probably be a less pay discrepancy between different genders and races and everything. Everyone knew what the other person made because you can actually argue the case that you should be paid more because of the quality of work. But since people are so secretive about it, like, you know, the person who sit next to you, who does exactly what you do could be making like, you know, 10 grand more than you. And like, if you had that information, you can lobby to make more money. And I think that a lot of people just don't really have that opportunity because they're unaware of it. But as far as um, last place aversion is concerned, to me, that's like really the basis of like American racism. Hmm. Like that's the way it came to me, man. And um, there's a show I'm watching. It's called uh, it's called Watchmen. I'm only on the fourth episode, but the way it opened, the way it opened was so crazy, and I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into whenever I turned it on. So this is going to be like a little spoiler alert, but I mean, if you watch it first, like 10 minutes, you'll, <laughs> you'll, you'll be caught up, you know, but, um, basically in the, and I'm telling you the story, there's a purpose. All right. So in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there was this a city or a neighborhood called Greenwood, also known as black wall street. I mean, this is where, you know, there's a ton of black owned businesses, black owned houses. It's just like, it was the other side of the tracks, but it was extremely profitable without getting into the history of black wall street per se. Let's just say that there are a lot of affluent African-Americans who lived in this area. All right. And this is a real place in real life in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And what happened next is also, is also a real thing that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma that no one ever talks about. And it's depicted in the show. And that's the uh, Tulsa race massacre. And this is when like white people had come into the town of uh, Greenwood and basically killed 300 black people, burned down all the businesses and looted all their houses and then burnt down their houses. They actually bombed them in real life out of airplanes. Again, there was a lot of things that happened, but I mean, the bombing, Mm -hmm. I think, and all this happened over 48 hours. And it's it's crazy because to the point where they're even still finding mass graves in the area. That was crazy that they recently found that. And to me, if they, if they didn't do that, I don't know. I, I wonder if 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 it's just happenstance that they're doing this uh, HBO special and they just happen to find that shit at at that time, or if that may have spurred interest in in making sure it's done. Well, Watchmen was a, it was originally a movie. This is a spinoff 
kind of of a movie. It's in the same universe as the movie. But this was in development, you know, years before it kind of came back in the news. But we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre. And after all the research, what they found is, like, a lot of it really came back to last place aversion. Throughout history, specifically early in American history, there was this facade of, like, the delicate white woman. And, you know, we must protect our white women at all costs. So if a black per- a black man ever runs afoul of a white woman in any way, shape, or form, you know, he needs to be taught a lesson. Like, they were talking about how, you know, this black guy was lynched for walking into a room where three white women were sitting. He didn't do anything. He just walked into the room. All right. So for this Tulsa race massacre, the quote unquote igniting event was that there's a black shoeshine boy who walked into an elevator where a white woman was operating the elevator and she screamed and he ran out. All this happened within probably like two or three minutes. Someone there had said that this guy had sexually assaulted this white elevator worker. Because of that, they mobilized to lynch this dude. This is around the time where I think World War One or two, it had to be World War One had ended and blacks had already enlisted for the military. So, you know, it came back with this new sense of pride. So they had gone to try to prevent the lynching. But whenever the white mob saw the blacks with the uh, with the guns and, you know, kind of with this military precision, it kind of infuriated them even more. And that's when all the whispers started talking like, yeah, you know, the black people are out to, you know, to basically start this race riot or whatever. And in order to prevent that they they went like you know this white mob of they said about maybe 1500 people had gone into greenwood and just started wrecking shop basically and come to find out that had the incident between the shoeshine boy and the elevator operator never happened the elevator operator actually recanted her stories. He even told the police that he didn't do anything to me. He tripped and fell and touched me and I overreacted. That's what happened. I was not sexually assaulted. But even with that information, they still went and destroyed this entire community. And the real reason for that was because Black people were doing too well. After they went to Greenwood, they were going in people's houses with pistols drawn and they were just stealing their stuff saying, you know, you Negroes don't deserve to have this. You guys have better things than I have. You know, it was to the point that, you know, they ran everyone out the city. And when after they had run all killed or run everyone out the city, they were coming with pickup trucks, back to pickup trucks to their doors of the of where these black people used to live. And they threw and they're taking all the black people's stuff and throwing them in the pickup trucks. Like because this whole thing. And like, that's really what it came down to. And then you find out years later that you're looking at, they're looking at the minutes from the, um, from the chamber where they thought that, you know, that it would be more profitable if they could put like, um, some sort of, um, some sort of center where green, where Greenwood was and like another railroad station in order to increase the uh, profitability of the white part of Tulsa. Like the whole thing is just, the whole thing was just crazy. And all of it had to do with just really not not having what the other person had, specifically what black people had. Because if you think about racism, specifically from like a white person point of view, that shit is dumb. Like, imagine you kidnapping somebody, right? And you had them work for you for, you know, let's say like 20 years. And then you get mad at them that they don't have to do that anymore. Like, that shit doesn't make sense. But if you 
can tap into the psychology of someone not wanting to be last. Like, cause if that person who you kidnap is all of a sudden doing better than you after you just had them in bondage, it makes you look like, like you're not doing shit. And like, that's been the rallying cry for a lot of racists. That's why even today you see, oh, you know, these Mexicans are taking all the jobs or these immigrants coming and taking all the jobs is because they're, they're trying to play on people's um, fear of being last. To be quite frankly, whiteness itself is a result of last place aversion because we got to remember whiteness is a creation, race is a social construct yeah. and, and whiteness was created in the United States. And the the reason why it was created, that's why I won't say it's, I'm not going to say it doesn't make sense because the reason why it was created was you had all these people, particularly in the early 1900s and, and late 1800s coming in from all over Europe. Um, and they all identify with their nationality. So you had Irish, you had Italian, you had Jewish and Almost everybody except for the Anglo-Saxon Protestants um, experienced some kind of discrimination based on where they were from, just because that's how humans are. But when this social construct of whiteness arose, that gave a uniting factor to these people. And the whole thing that really gave it um, merit was that you're white and you're better than black. You're better than the other. I wasn't even black back then. You know, you're better than colored or Negro or whatever other word they wanted to use. And so, and that pride obviously permeates um, today. It permeated in the story you told with Tulsa and Black Wall Street because it's like, how dare you challenge um, this thing that's aspirational? You know, even when we talk about um, our previous episodes of Atlantic City. Was. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And, and with that image meant, that was also something that re, would reinforce the um, last place aversion. Even when you look at the political climate now, it's hard to say how much of a factor one particular thing has, but you could say that the reason why we have what some have termed white lash yeah. uh, in response to Barack Obama's uh, presidency is because of that last place aversion. It was like, oh, hell no. We are going to fight tooth and nail. And even like historically, not, not structurally, when you're looking at people um, bringing folks in. And, and and stopping the immigrant routes and making it harder for visas of non-white people to come in. That's all part of that uh, last place aversion. So it's just, it's just unbelievable how much of an impact it's having, particularly now in society. And I guess it's always been there. There's a great book by uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates that's called uh, We Were Eight Years in Power. Yeah. And it discusses the uh, Reconstruction Era how it came to end and how that has some parallels to Barack Obama's eight years in power because Reconstruction was also eight years and um, how the responses of that uh, have influenced um, where we are in, in, in our political climate. So hell yeah, I feel like not only ra racism is a result of the last place aversion, but whiteness in general and the creation of it um, it's a 
reflection of that. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, even whenever you're talking about, um, you know, reconstruction, people like to think that lynchings during reconstruction happened because of, you know, this this like white purity of women. Like that's uh was there was what was that movie called? Um this guy DW Griffith. So he he has this movie called Birth of a Nation. And in the movie it basically shows, you know, the black man as a savage and the the whole goal of this black man is to uh is to, you know, rape white women, you know. And this movie was such a rallying call for, you know, the membership of the Klan. Like, that's how they influenced people. That's That was like a, uh, a marketing tool, you know? And that, and that movie was watched in the White House. It was proclaimed. Like, the greatest movie, movie ever made day. or something like that. Yeah. And, like, that depiction of white fragility, but specifically the fragility of white women, is what, you know, over history, you know, white men or these white racist men had used as a rallying cry or really a red herring to lynch black people. When the fact is, there's really economics. A lot of times it's economics because there were like black businessmen who would do, who'd be doing very well. And all of a sudden like he sexually assaulted some white woman who he was probably never in a room with. So, you know, he needs to be taught a lesson. You know, when the fact is he was just doing his, he was doing business too well where they were no longer getting the dollars out the black community because they're spending it at this individual store. So we have to do something about that. So not only do they lynch them, they burn down the store and then they're trying to force black people to start buying those well, I, I would like to even revisit some of this shit because yeah. it's just making me so angry and it affects my emotional health. But I will say, <laughs> yeah, no, I, in defense of you. the in defense of the original Birth of the Nation, mm-hmm. it was not only just so beloved because it captured like the racist. It was America, supposed to be like uh, cinema. The cinematography was supposed to be like first class. It was like the Black Panther of his era. <laughs> and how ironic is that? <laughs> like, the motherfuckers was like, I've never seen effects like this. This shit is so crazy. Funny. Nah, man, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even go that far just because of all, like, all the, uh, all the damage that it did, you know, like, for through this country. Because they said after that yeah. movie came out, like, the, the Klan membership increased by, like, like, 1,500% or something like that. You know? But, but that also shows, though, like uh, the importance and the role that our imaginations have yeah. and how you can galvanize people. And unfortunately, the second birth of a nation ain't do shit like groundbreaking from a film perspective. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like every other slave movie, unfortunately. And, you know, there was some outside forces. Oh, bro, that, there was a lot of that stuff that happened, but that happened before that Nate movie Parker. came out, man. Oh, my goodness. Like there was a, there was a whole smear campaign for this dude. Yeah. Ryan Coogler is also doing a movie um, based on the life of Fred Hampton. And I'm so, life and death of Fred Hampton. And I'm so excited about what that movie can, could mean uh, for us. Because if if he were able to incorporate some groundbreaking things like like that, it has the potential to galvanize a group of people for positive action, for the upliftment of disenfranchised communities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I've all, I've always loved Fred Hampton's story. I'm, I almost got his uh, face tattooed on me, but I just don't want to have another dude's face tattooed on me. But yeah, like, so, but to me, it just speaks to like the power of the imagination, yeah. period. And then there's a there's certain power of racism that's yeah. fucked up. And, um, and, well. and the power of envy, man. 
Because, I mean, like, the, the root of all this is, I mean, it's really envy. Because this last place aversion still has to do with the fact that, you know, you want to make sure that other people don't have more than what you have. That's evolutionary, though. That is evolutionary. Because the people who have the least are the ones who die. And and so that's why people are always going to, that's always going to strike a chord. And uh, even when we talked a little bit about social media, but one of the things that the episode uh, reflected was that research shows that when people are on social media, they naturally compare themselves to others. Um, and so the more you're on it, the more you're comparing yourself. So that's why prop to have proper mental health, you probably want to reduce and, and monitor how much time you focus on there because that has a, a direct impact on your happiness because you're always saying I'm better than this motherfucker this motherfucker is better than me. And like, to me, that those um, emotions are the root of, um, I don't want to say it's the root of depression because obviously there there are some factors. You know what's the root of? Like social anxiety. Because that, yes. that's another thing that they had talked about because they're talking about um, excessive social comparisons and how that leads to unhappiness or whatever. One of the good examples that they gave was, uh, you know, of the, the FOMO, fear of missing out. And they're talking about there are people who went on to like this Caribbean vacation or whatever, and they got on Facebook and saw, you know, just some of their friends hanging out and they wish that they were there. You know, but like, meanwhile, you know, you're on it, you're in this beautiful island with this clear water and people bringing you drinks and everything's paid for. And, you know, your boys are just at, you know, some bar doing what they do every Wednesday. You're like, man, I wish I was there, you know? Yeah. And they asked them, like, which one would you, and they asked people, you know, separate of that situation, like, hey, which one would you rather be doing? Would you rather be, you know, in the Bahamas or, you know, with your friends, you know, drinking a beer at the local dive bar? Like, I'd rather be in the Bahamas, you know, but it really what it really came down to is they didn't want to miss out on something that may have happened with their friends. You know, yep. Actually, a social memory. Exactly. And bro, I actually had a moment like that. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I was down in Charlotte. I wasn't on vacation or anything. But I remember whenever it was, I think it was you, Coleman, Lorenzo, and uh, Q had sent me a picture. And I was like, That was a great night. I, too, I was man. like, Man, look at these motherfuckers hanging out without me, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great night, man. And you know, you shouldn't be too upset because it was probably better that you weren't there. You know what I mean? You probably would have <laughs> took away from it. nah man but like you know but i mean i think that's real i mean especially you know if it's a a group of people that you know i'm saying you you actually care about you know because there are people who you work with who may go to happy hour and you see them and you're like oh man it'd been cool if they invited me but you you don't like care care but if it's like cats that you know you like really break bread with and you're like damn man like even if nothing happened man even if y'all just really just grabbed a drink talked about nothing and left you know, just the, I guess the, that might be that anticipation, new memory thing. Like just the fact that, you know, something big could happen in that friend group. I mean, that's a, you know, that plays a big part. Even people you don't care about, bro. Because the thing is, one another thing the episode spoke to is how proximity and if you see yourself as somebody, like even if you don't know them directly, you're more likely to kind of have those envious kind of feelings. And so I think in this society, when you're seeing people's highlight reels um, constantly, yep. things take time. It takes a lot of discipline to get to where you are in life. But when you're always seeing what you're aspiring to, 
and you've seen other people, it, it kind of reinforces the gap that you have in that space. And then you start maybe feeling guilty about where you are in life. All that made me spawn, like made this spawn in my head was like, we are in a society that is the most at peace, the richest world that has ever existed. And I feel like with social media, I, I feel like we may be getting unhappier. And that would be, that's so crazy to have all these positive things in real terms, but then the emotional well-being of the nation or of society in general, like going down because of this comparison that we that we have to folks. And really, man, what you said before, highlight real. I mean, I think that's the most important key that people don't take from that, you know, because whenever you scroll through your Facebook feed, that's usually people posting their best life. You know what I'm saying? And you're comparing like what you're doing at that second, you're probably just sitting on the toilet. There's someone, you know, on their vacation that they're only going to be taking at that specific time for the rest of the year, for the rest of the year, they're going to be on the toilet like you, but you compare yourself, but you compare yourself to like the best part of their year, you know? And I think that context or the lack of context kind of spurs that even more. Even though, even if you can articulate it, these feelings, it still doesn't change the fact that you still feel it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's the fucked up thing. It's like when you feel some shit, you like, you know some bullshit, but you still can't control how the shit makes you feel. Like it doesn't make you immune. So you really have to put certain certain things in place. There's this uh, book called, uh, I sound like a fucking Oprah, but there's a, there's a <laughs> There's a book called um, Digital Minimalism did, that, did you re- that really- Did you read it or did you listen to it? I listened to that motherfucker. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's this book, there's a book I listened to called Digital Minimalism that really talks about the steps that you can take and breaks down to how like these companies spend billions and billions of dollars to really keep you addicted. Like the same- People who are, who uh, manufacture slot machines and shit to keep to make all the noises to keep people there for hours are the same people who are contracted to uh, control Facebook and Instagram. So like this whole shit is a big ass cluster, man. Exactly, man. Because it's crazy. Like I was watching some talk show for some reason. Whenever I go to the gym, that's what they usually have playing in like the locker rooms. Like they'll have ESPN on some TV, but like they don't just have like some random talk show like Doctor Oz or something. But either way, on this talk show, they're talking about the things that you could do to make your phone less addictive, like change the brightness settings and you know remove the. Oh, you should see my phone. I I be taking the color off my phone, and that's what they're talking, and that's what they that's what yeah. they're saying because that make because like like the colors would conti- consistently drives you to your phone. You know? that red status shit, that color red is crazy yep. to the human brain or whatever, man. So when you see that notification on Facebook on Instagram, they started off and that shit was blue, and that shit was not nearly effective. They changed that shit to red. So it's just really, there are glitches in every animal. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? In our brains, it's part of our evolutionary thing and it takes time to catch up and we have to put things in place to protect us. And I feel like the pace of growth is is really just creating more glitches for us that we have to work through. And I, and it's and it's definitely been a crazy uh, impact when it comes to social anxiety and depression. Yeah, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, the more we grow, the more access we have to human behavior and the more access we have to technology, it allows an opportunity for people to exploit those glitches. Yeah. 
and, that's and the pace of growth media is. Is, is different and in, in this era than it has been to others it's just so accelerated with all that said i think this is a good time to uh take a break so we'll catch up with you guys after the break We're back from the break, and um, I, I feel like we had a pretty good discussion here, man. For sure, man. Like, and I guess that that that's part of a good sign for for a good podcast. It's it's one that like um, allows us to have good dialogue and, and explore new thoughts, both both specific and general, and allows us to like give us some like memories that we've had and that we can relate to. So I feel like this joint is really spawned all that. So that's dope. Most definitely. And man, with that said, what were your overall thoughts? I mean, what would you give it on the scale of one to 10? I really can't forget that initial. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like was that the last podcast we were talking about? Like the last taste that you have is what what remains with you. Yeah. the, The memory podcast. But I also believe in first impressions as well. Out of 10, I would give this a six. But I feel like it's hard for me to rate it because it's like an artist that does great fucking music and does trash music as well. I want to say an artist, but that would be fucking blasphemous. You know what I'm saying? And I I really don't want to say it because he's one of my favorites. Who, 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 Nas? Yes. (laughs) I can do the but math, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want. I don't. I don't want to also add fuel to this narrative that, like, just because Jay Z said Nostradamus was trash, that it was trash. Nostradamus is actually a fucking good album, and it's better than I am, in my opinion. It's kind of like I don't. And Nas is definitely better than the six. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's an artist that, like can give you some shit that you'd be like Lil Wayne, for example. Maybe Lil Wayne is a better example. Like, um, or Kanye at this stage of his career. Yeah, man, but I, you know, yeah. but I mean, I think, I can't say Kanye just because Kanye was like really consistent at the beginning of his career. And now he's like, like consistent again, just in like on the opposite spectrum to me. Cause it's not like the life of Pablo was so great. And then, you know, Jesus was so great. And now, I mean, it didn't really fluctuate. It was like, it was like all great, then it was solid, then it was not good at all. I got it. All right. So this this shit is DMX. You know what I mean? See, this I, fucking here, project is thing. DMX. I can't give you that because DMX's first three CDs, great. And then and, again, and, and, then and the last three episodes I listened to were fucking amazing, bro. <laughs> like, dog, that shit was so hard. But then Sean Carfordantum started smoking crack, you know what I'm saying? And started hitting us with some weak shit, you know what I mean? So I feel like this shit is like DMX, you know what I mean? You got, because what was his trash albums, like Grand Finale or some shit? Grand Champion or Grand Champion. Grand Champion. Basically everything after uh, Blood is My Blood, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this this, uh, podcast is on some DMX shit, but I'm not going to give it a six. I'm going to give it a six and a half. You know, but like you get you get some episodes that are a ten. Yeah. You get some episodes that are a five. And it's interesting because I, I try to at least starting off, try to veer away from covering podcasts 
that are interview based yeah. for that very reason because they tend to have like a lot of fluctuation. And it's funny that but, you said that because I was going to say this is very similar to that sex and money. Yeah, yeah, because it's very similar in that way. Because we're like, you know, whenever she does, like the host is great, but whenever she does a podcast, we don't care about, we don't want to listen to it. But whenever she does a podcast that, on the topic that we do care about, it's fire. You know, yeah, and like what I don't, I wish I could remember what I gave the last podcast because I would give this podcast like a half a point lower than that or a point lower than okay. that because I really, really like that podcast. But at the same time, I mean, I like the host a lot more too. But this has yeah. this has the same issues that that podcast had, just with a a less likable host. You know, and it's not that he's not likable; he's just not as he's just not as good as she was. You know, right? And I think. Like I said, like with my beef with some of the early ones, he does certain topics that other people cover better yeah. than him. Yeah, so and that's what like, I'm, and that's what I'm saying. Like that's 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 yeah. the flaw there, you know. So I guess on a scale of one to ten, I'm just gonna say six because I think I gave the last one a seven. So I would I would say six because even the podcast that we listened to that you know you didn't love so much, I actually I enjoyed them. You know, had I not heard. The other two that we covered in depth on this podcast, if I hadn't heard those two first, I probably would enjoy the other podcast even more. And like the overall concept of this podcast is something I'm generally interested in, just like different, just like your subconscious behaviors that you don't really pay that much attention to. But whenever it's brought to light, you're like, oh, snap, yo, it's, it's exactly like that because it's hot, cold empathy gap. I mean, everyone has an idea of it. Everyone knows like whenever you're hungry, you're a lot less rational then whenever you're not, I mean, that's why diets don't work a lot of times because, you know, you sit down, you plan out what you're going to eat. You're going to plan out, you know, how much you're going to eat and what you're going to eat and what you're not going to eat. Then you get to the restaurant and you, you smell like that pasta and you're like, yo, Hey, yo, this dude Kyle's a real fucking asshole. I just want y'all to know I ordered Grubhub or I thought I ordered Grubhub in the middle of this shit and I'm hungry right now. And this motherfucker really going to talk about, all this fucking food that tastes good and all this stuff, and I'm starving. But continue on, bro. Yes, you're fucking right. Great fucking example, fucking Jagger. I mean, I mean, I think that's just like your narcissistic personality type. Because I was just talking more in a general term. Uh- <laughs> I'll take it. Whatever it is, I feel how I feel, bro. I got uh, uh, what's the word? Last place aversion, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, man. But but ultimately, like I said, this is six. I mean, honest, this would be a podcast I would listen to a lot more frequently, probably even more frequently if there was a different host. But um, the concept of the podcast, I really dig. And this is definitely something I could see. Like if I was just going on some like random trip somewhere and I didn't have anything else to listen to, I wouldn't like hate that I had to put this on. I'd be like, all right, cool, man. This is the episode I want to listen to. It feels a little sanitized. Even when they're talking about stuff that, is like racy, like sex and stuff. Like yeah. his role in there the, the, in terms of pushing the envelope is very clinical. Yeah, clin- clinical. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So just stick with me. All right. From the middle headrest in the back seat to the engine, how useful is it? The middle headrest in the back seat. I mean, I guess it's a good example, motherfucker, but goddamn shit. Bro, you generally don't stuff five people in your car, man. Use this just a four. I mean, and like no one's sitting there comfortably enough to be in the middle and actually be able to sit all the way back and use the headrest. Like that that's that how is I feel. very true. 
I feel like that's for like morbidly obese people. Like you gotta be like a morbidly obese. <laughs> like you were, like, you're, like you're the only person you know, sitting like, in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, because because like I feel like the more obese you are, the more you force to lean back. Like uh, Biggie and the No Problems. Yeah, uh, video like the more money, more problems. That was not flattering. I don't know why. I've, P. Diddy did that shit to Biggie. Like, that's some fat nigga shit. <laughs> nah, but you, you usually let those dudes sit in the front seat anyway. You know what I'm saying? That's true. It's hard with car stuff because obviously, like, the engine is fucking important as shit. <laughs> All right. Bro, I already, got, I already got mine, man. Listen. Spare tire, bro. I, I think it's more important than that. See, I don't think it's more important than a spare tire, man. I think it's good when you need it. Like, if we're having this conversation, if you're having this conversation, you're trying to understand something and you need to just pull, like, pull like the information from this out your butt like i think that's perfect you know but you don't actually i mean it's not really that useful unless you need it you know i'm gonna say high beams same difference yeah i mean it comes in handy where you're like driving through projects and you're trying to say hello to new friends and you want to flicker your uh <laughs> your high beams so they understand or, or if you want to start a gang initiation apparently oh yeah 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 <laughs> For sure. I think this was a really good podcast. I really enjoyed it. The host was, you know, like like we said, he was kind of clinical. He wasn't like I really wouldn't want him to host other things that I was interested in, but he was cool. I mean, he seemed knowledgeable. He brought he was a decent interviewer. But um, like I said, the It was clinical. <laughs> the overall like a physician. Stupid. The overall subject matter of the podcast and what the podcast is, you know, created for or whatever. I mean, I think it's dope. I mean, I listened to it again. So what do you guys think? Have you guys listened to Hidden Brain before? If you have, let us know. What did you think about it? After listening to our conversations, did it make you want to listen in even more? And also let us know what's the joint that you listen to all the time and you want to see what our opinion is on it open to suggestions you should hit us on twitter on instagram on whatever at about podcasts with an s all right all right well that wraps it up for us you guys have a good one